Welcome to Connected, episode 201. It is brought to you this week by our sponsors, Pingdom, Simple Contacts, and Timing. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined this week by my friend and yours, Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back. You had a week off, Thank but now you. you're back. And yeah, I was on tour with JT, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he said, you know, you should go back to podcasting. This dance thing is not really for you. I said, yeah, I guess I should go back to doing the show. Um, see, see, I thought the seniors were maybe doing like some sort of like reunion opening act type thing. Why with the Spanish accent? <laughs> uh, I think it'd be great. Yeah, I thought, you know, I actually thought about texting the guys again uh but then again we're living in different cities like we're all over mm. italy at this point and it would be impossible to do a reunion not even for like christmas i think because um uh, we have families in different towns now so it's become impossible no no more no more seniors i'm sorry steven S- seniors senior no more no the seniors are no more <laughs> <laughs> um do uh, where do we know the whereabouts of our friend michael he's on his honeymoon mm. mm-hmm. so drinking th- fancy drinks mm. so th- this time is uh, is very much alive it's just not here yes. just not here is uh, not here. Yeah. yeah. Michael He'll will, be back soon. He'll be he'll be back in the future. Uh in the meantime, Steven, it's time for follow up. With very important follow up about Macintosh computers of all of I all can, can of you, all topics. This is where we are. <laughs> There's this new- is where we are in the news cycle. New Macs are in follow up because they happened <laughs> basically the exact exactly the wrong time for this show. So there are new MacBook Pros. Everyone's heard lots about them. Four core, thirteen inch, six core. 15 inch up to 32 gigs of RAM, four terabyte SSD, which is insane because it's like $3,200. But if you need it, I guess it's nice to have the option. Uh, So, Federico, you have a MacBook Pro that you record on. uh, Or or is there a new MacBook Pro in your future or in the future of your household? Oh, no. (laughs) Not at all. Uh, I I was talking about this with Sylvia. She's perfectly okay with her um, 2016. 17 what's the second generation macbook pro with touch bar what, what? 17 Se- 2017. So 2017 macbook pro and i'm totally fine with my 2015 macbook mm-hmm. pro with the regular keyboard um has her has her keyboard failed her uh so she hasn't noticed anything so far but she told me uh as soon as i noticed something we're going to the apple store so the so that that i can take advantage of the replacement program <laughs> Yeah, well, you got some time. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, I, actually, the the only Mac that is on my wish list, and we've talked about this, is a Mac Mini. And yeah. uh, you know, a friend yeah. of the show, Minchi Kuo, says that new Mac Minis are coming, which I, I still find that hard to believe that is actually happening after four years. But as soon as the, there's a web page on Apple.com with the refresh Mac Mini. That's going straight to my shopping bag uh, <laughs> because it actually does fit a shopping bag because it's a Mac Mini. So uh, yeah, that that's the only Mac in in my near I hope future, not a MacBook Pro. It, it'd be nice. I mean, like I said, I've got two. Neither of them will run Mojave. My one at home is acting acting increasingly odd, uh, especially around like power on, power off type stuff. So I'm just hoping that it holds it together. But I'm with you. If they refresh it, I'm going to replace at least my um, my home server entertainment center 
Mac Mini. So the MacBook Pro. So I have an iMac Pro as my primary machine. It's what's in my studio. It's what I'm talking to you on now. But I keep a MacBook Pro for travel or when I work outside of the office. And that has been a 15-inch 2015. Basically the same machine that you have, lots of people have. But I have ordered a quad-core 13-inch. I was on the fence for a while, but I spent some time with them in the Apple Store. And the keyboard definitely feels better. Uh, and really, I want to go back to a 13-inch, and the quad-core is why I had the 15 before. So uh, I've got one on order, just the base model with fi- the 512 SSD, and uh, I will report back on how that goes. There's a, an important piece of follow-up that I wanted to share with you and with our listeners, Stephen. Okay. Um, for the past few, few weeks, I've been busy, uh, been busy um, sort of uh, modernizing and renovating our um, insanely and unnecessarily huge balcony um, that we have um, for reasons that I don't want to disclose on the podcast. The way that the, our apartment is structured is the balcony is basically bigger than the apartment inside. Um and we cannot, of course, do any kind of serious work because we're renting. But we thought we can maybe take advantage of this space, which for a long time has been the essentially where the dogs can run and play because it's big enough for two dogs to run and play. Um, but we can maybe try and make it a little more livable and more welcoming and more useful to be outside. So what we've done in addition to some new furniture and clean up the space, um, I have a TV outside now. Uh, so one of my, one of our old televisions that we we're not using anymore since we bought the you know we bought a 4K TV. Um, so we had this unused uh, unused television set that it's now outside on top of a of a sort of an IKEA um, movable cart yeah. thing. And and this thing is like it's not enclosed, but it's like well covered. Like this TV is not out in the rain. It's well covered. No, 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 it's not. It's a, it's a covered balcony um, that, you know, it doesn't rain there. And, uh, I mean, the, the, the weather in, in Rome is usually nice enough for not to have stuff outside and not be a problem. But this, uh, the building, this building especially is very well covered. Um, and we thought, you know, now that we have a TV, we can maybe, you know, um, actually also, you know, in addition to connecting like a Nintendo Switch to the TV, we can, we should actually be able to watch TV. The problem is that we didn't have an, an antenna plug, uh, you know, like a, like a wall antenna for over-the-air television close enough to run a cable to the TV. So what I remembered is I have a box of unused electronics and I remembered that the NVIDIA Shield was there because I was planning to sell I was <laughs> oh, how the yeah, mighty I was have planning fallen. <laughs> to sell the Nvidia shield and basically by putting together a new stuff uh, so I took the Nvidia shield around the entire cycle of Android updates. And I remember that I also had a TV tuner, uh, an HD home run. So I bought on Amazon an antenna splitter, which is this thing that you put into the an- antenna plug in the wall and it creates two antenna um, plugs instead of one. Um, and I connected a, a terrestrial antenna cable to the HD home run, and then I ran an Ethernet cable to the modem, and now uh, using the Channels app, which you can find, I think it's Get Channels or ChannelsApp.com, something like that. Anyway, it's a it's a really good looking um, 
solution to stream television to an iPhone, an iPad, an Apple TV. They have an Android app. Um, so what I did is I I installed channels on my iOS devices and on the NVIDIA Shield. So now I can watch live television, including HD television channels, outside without having an antenna cable, uh, just by streaming on my local network, which is very cool. And the Channels app, it allows you to set favorites. Uh, it has a built-in guide that looks really nice. It actually looks better than the interface of the TV itself. So... That was that was one thing we did, and of course I set up a U light so that now that we have you know some some fancy mood lighting in addition to the candles that we have, uh, it's it's looking really nice. Then I did two more things, Stephen. Um, I bought a Sonos One speaker because yeah because we wanted to have music outside because we invite friends over uh quite often um and we wanted to be able to you know i don't know have dinner outside or just chill outside have some wine and have some music going on in the background and i knew that i wanted to have an airplay 2 speaker because i just find that convenient to have you know uh, access from control center access from uh, the music app but I, of course i didn't want to buy another home pod <laughs> uh, so i thought what's the cheapest way that i can have an airplay 2 speaker and the answer was the sonos one uh, now it's working fine i can i can stream from my iphone to the sonos one using airplay 2 but i'm having some trouble actually using it as an AirPlay 2 device when you add it from using the home app. So this is kind of confusing, but there's two ways that you can stream to an AirPlay 2 device. From Control Center, you can tap the checkbox at the very top of the list of devices, and you can stream audio directly from your iPhone or your iPad to a speaker. And that part is working just fine. Alternatively, what you can do is you can... You know, in Control Center, they have those tiles that represent all of the separate AirPlay 2 devices that you have. You can tap to connect directly to a device. And so you can have separate audio between your iPhone and the speaker so that you have one set of audio happening on the speaker and different audio happening on your phone. The problem is, I, I don't know what's wrong, but whenever I... So the Sonos shows up in the list of devices, but when I tap on the little platter it says unable to connect and i don't know i don't know what i'm doing wrong i i tested with wi-fi i tested with ethernet because there's another thing that i bought that i'm going to share with you in a moment uh, it's not working i only i was only able to find a couple of people online on the sonos uh, forum boards um, having the same problem i tested on ios 11 i tested on ios 12 it's always saying unable to connect all of my HomePods are fine. Uh, they're also AirPlay 2 devices. They're also connected to the same network. But the Sonos does not want to behave as an actual AirPlay 2 device when I connect uh, you know, from the dedicated uh, accessory widget in, from Control Center. I don't know why. I have no idea. My I'd be interested to hear from listeners if that's a, th a thing. I don't know anyone else with the Sonos 1 that has had issues, but maybe it's a... Maybe it's iOS 12 beta thing. Have you tried yeah. with iOS yeah, 11? Yeah, because I also, you know, for review purposes, I had to buy a sixth-generation iPod Touch. What? Um, oh, Federico, come on. I, I wanted to do some actual testing for the performance section of the review. Uh, we can talk about this in a minute. Um, so, yeah, if you know what's going on with the Sonos and AirPlay 2, uh, I, again, I can stream 
directly from the iPhone to the speaker just fine. But for example, I cannot ask Siri to say, hey, uh, play some music uh, in the balcony because that part requires this different type of connection to be working. And even though I see it as a device, Siri gives me an error. And when I try to connect, it says unable to connect. So it must be something on my local network. I have no idea. Um, finally... I mentioned running an Ethernet cable uh, from the Sonos One to uh, Modem, and that is because I finally have a mesh Wi-Fi system in our apartment. Very uh, nice. We, uh, I knew that I wanted to buy, I wanted to to have a mesh system uh, eventually. Eventually, and after you know, I, I had. Um, a bunch of research done uh, for months and I pulled the trigger and I bought the Netgear Orbi um, mesh mm-hmm. configuration. We have one router and one satellite outside and it's just, uh, it took a bit of um, uh, troubleshooting and setup because we have a modem from our ISP and I needed to set up the, you know, the, the Orbi as an access point and the satellite was doing a software update initially which was, and it was not connecting uh, and I may have done a bunch of acci- accidental resets because I, I thought that the, the, the satellite was not working. Turns out it was just updating its, its firmware. Thankfully everything is fine and now our entire par- apartment, including the huge area outside, is now fully covered in Wi-Fi. So it's you know it's pretty awesome. You're just living it up over there. Yeah, we, we figured, you know, we should actually try and make this space a little better because we're probably gonna stay here for uh for still for some more time and so why not make it actually nicer sure. and more inviting for people. And uh, now we are, we can actually have nice dinners outside. Still I still need to buy a new table and I'm probably gonna set up a second U light at the other end of the balcony. But overall I'm pretty happy with the with the result, it's it's a different type of project for me because I ne- I usually don't do like stuff, uh, you know, this type of sort of do-it-yourself right. project. I I don't do this stuff, uh, but it's been fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's it is it's fun to set up a new space or like rethink an existing space and sort of you know what do we actually need? What do I want? It, it's a fun thing to do sometimes. So I'm glad it's worked out for you. Yeah. Um. So last week. Uh, as we discussed on the show, was the 10th anniversary of the App Store. And Federico, I want to check in with you. Mac Stories did a ton of coverage. There's a link in the show notes to the tag, so you can kind of see all of the the coverage all on one page. But how were you happy with how that turned out? Oh yeah, it was great. I I uh, I was really happy that um, that readers and developers uh, really appreciated the idea of celebrating the App Store and just. The idea of leaving leaving something on my website for the next ten years, so that you know in twenty twenty eight we'll be able to look back and you know have this entire series still on the site, and you know it, it was for us a, a success uh, financially speaking uh, in terms of audience response. So I was really happy to you know, and just in general, I'm just glad that ten years from now I will be able to look back and see what I did for the the first decade of the App Store and yeah. Do something for the second decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking through this now. I really enjoyed the. I enjoyed all of it, but especially the last two pieces: the App Store at ten, the next decade, and then personal App Store stories. Kind of, mm-hmm. kind of a different coverage, um, but I think it really played to y'all's strengths. And um, I mean, I'm, I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate you oh, letting me be a part of it, which was cool. 
But uh, good job, buddy. It really was something only you guys could do. Thank you. Thank you. So we've got a bunch more to talk about, but I want to take a break and tell you about our first sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Pingdom is the company who offer uptime monitoring and web performance management. And you may be more familiar with Pingdom than you may think because they help keep your favorite sites online, things like BuzzFeed, Netflix, RelayFM. If you've used those sites recently and not run into any trouble, you may have Pingdom to thank. The deal is that websites are sophisticated and complicated. They have so many moving parts. You've got things like contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search boxes, all these different components. They really add up. And Pingdom lets you check the availability of all those discrete functions. It's not just about getting a message when your entire site goes down. They care that all the important interactions people have on your site are working, and they'll let you know if they aren't. And it's easy to get started. All Pingdom needs is the URL you want to monitor, and they take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use the code CONNECTED at checkout to get a massive 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. So uh, I know you are in the the trenches uh, with your iOS 12 review, and I mm-hmm. wanted to see how that was going. All right. So um, as usual, every year I um, dedicate uh, two two weeks to uh, intensive writing uh, every day, and this process started um, on Saturday. So I think I'm in my oh my god fourth fifth day um and it's going it's you know it's going pretty well actually um so i we talked about the fact uh when when michael was still with us um that i wanted to take a less technical and more personal approach to the review um for a couple of reasons because uh first of all i didn't want to uh, end up in the situation again where my review is a sixty thousand word, you know, novel that talks about APIs and programming, uh, you know, uh, changes in, in in the new version of iOS, and also because I I know that I'm capable of doing that, but I don't necessarily enjoy talking about that kind of technical aspect of iOS. I've always preferred talking about the experience of using iOS and sharing personal thoughts about using iOS and what it means, uh, what, what the new features mean, what, you know, what they say about what's coming next and all of that. So uh, I didn't want to have... Uh, I, I didn't want to work on the kind of review that I've done for iOS 10 and iOS 11. I wanted to have something more friendly and personal and uh, more concise, if possible. Um, what I noticed in iOS 12 is that when uh, every year before I actually start writing, I open the WWDC app and I go through all the sessions that I marked as favorites when I, when I was at WWDC. And then I go through the list again of all the sessions and I add some more because maybe there's something that I missed and you know there's some video that I need to watch again. Um, what I noticed this, this year is that besides shortcuts for which the research I had already done, um, there wasn't much else that I needed to watch in terms of technical sessions. There was something, you know, handful of sessions about notifications. Uh, there's still one about photography and the camera that I need to watch. But other than that, if I'm not 
taking the extreme hardcore technical approach to the, rev to the review, there isn't much that I need to write about. You know, I don't need to w to watch the what's new in in app purchases section. <laughs> I don't need to I don't need to watch the what's new in iTunes Connect session. And in and in previous years, I would have done that because I wanted to know everything. Um, this time, I want I want my review to be an actual review of what it's like to use iOS 12 and what iOS 12 means for whatever Apple may do, may be doing next. Um, and so I realized, you know, there's, I don't need to spend time watching all of these technical sessions. And so I decided that for the entire month of June and the first half of July, I would just use iOS 12 and take notes as I went. Just, I, you know, I had a bunch of thoughts and notes and comments as I was use, using my devices. And then I mentioned that I was considering changing my writing setup so that I could replicate my old uh, workflows from editorial uh, in drafts 5. And after much uh, experimentation and having to learn a bunch of JavaScript, um, I am writing the review in drafts 5. Um, so um, I set up a workspace for the review in drafts. I recreated some of some of my not all of them, but some of my editorial workflows as drafts actions. So things like links and footnotes, and uh, you know, having multiple backups of the review occurring at the same time, you will be happy, Stephen, to know that the review is being backed up in four different places. I appreciate that. So I recreated that in drafts, and I also changed how I do research. So I'm still using a mind map. So that part of the setup is still unchanged. Still a mind map in iThoughts, and as I write. I close uh, the you know the the, the branch, uh, mm -hmm. the section of the review, and I add a little emoji check mark to <laughs> indicate that it's done. Um, so the the more I write, the more I advance in the review, the more branches I close, and I feel happy about it. Uh, but this year, and I think I mentioned this on App Stories, and I wrote about it on Club Max Stories last week uh, or a couple of weeks ago. I am using Keep It. Uh, so keep it, you, Stephen. You, you are, you've been a long time <laughs> Mac user. You may be familiar with the app called Together, uh, which was sort of an alternative to Evernote and Yojimbo. You, re you remember Yojimbo? I do. Yeah. Uh, so Together was an app in that in that style, sort of a, a um, something that you throw everything into, uh, be it images or PDF documents or web links. Um, and now it's called Keep It, and it's from reinvented software. And it's both on Mac and iOS. And the reason why I'm using Keep It instead of DevonThink, which is what I used to use before, uh, is that it, it supports uh, tagging in a, in a more intuitive way. But most of all, it lets me create saved searches on iOS. So this allow, allows me to tag uh, all of my PDF documents or my screenshots or my web links that are about iOS 12, with, I can tag them with different topics. So uh, my tagging structure is something like iOS 12 and then notifications, if it's a screenshot about notifications, or iOS 12 Siri, or iOS 12 and then shortcuts. Um, all of these tags 
I can then use as a parameter to create a saved search. So, for example, I have a saved search that is iOS 12 shortcuts screenshots. And it's just images about shortcuts. But I also have a saved search that says iOS 12 shortcuts documentation. And it's just about technical docs for shortcuts. So, Daventhink on iOS, um, it supports saved searches that you create on the Mac but you cannot create them directly on iOS. And of course, the more I can do stuff directly on iOS, the better it is for me. And generally speaking, I just prefer the way that Keep It looks on iOS because it looks sort of like an Apple app. It looks like Notes or Mail. It's got this default look that I appreciate. So what I'm doing now is um, I'm transferring... Uh, I've been transferring the Notes that I had in Keep It uh, in iThoughts, giving it a bit of structure. Uh, as I transfer these notes, uh, it's it, basically I have a two-step um, note-taking process. I dump everything I can think about and keep it, and then I take those notes and I make them um, branches and nodes in a mind map. And then I put drafts and I thoughts side by side, and I just start writing. And I'm happy about the progress so far because in five days. Um, I've put in 10,000 words Whoa. so far. And I'm at the point where I think... Um, so tomorrow, uh, I'm going to be approaching the halfway point of the review, I think. Um, if I can... My goal this year is to try and stay between thirty and 35,000 words. Uh, I know that doing less than 30,000 words for my writing style and the kind of uh, topics that I want to cover is going to be impossible. Still... If I can put together a review that I'm happy uh, that I'm happy about, and have it be half of what I've done for the past couple of years, that's gonna be I'm gonna be super happy about that. Uh, and by my mind map and by my notes, um, I'm there's going to be nine chapters I think, and tomorrow I will be starting chapter six. So, uh, as you can imagine, Shortcuts is going to be the bulk of the review, uh, but also I don't think it's going to be as bad as the iPad chapter from last year, uh, because most of Shortcuts I've already covered for the past four years when it was called for Workflow. Right. So, um, I'm feeling pretty good about not writing you know, the new the new Dante novel <laughs> instead, <laughs> of, instead of an iOS review. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, be, it's been a fun and different process uh, this year. No, I think that the changes you've talked about making, I think they make a lot of sense. Where you were the last couple of years, obviously, was a ton of work. And what it yield, yielded was amazing, but probably too much for a lot of people. And I think the idea of focusing on the the user experience of the thing and and not and sort of brushing aside some of the under the covers type stuff. I think that's a wise move. Um, uh, and I think it makes it fit better with what you guys do on Mac stories, the way that you approach other app reviews and other topics. You really focus on the experience that the user has and not necessarily, oh, it's because this API does this. And not that you can't do that, not that you're not good at it, but I just think that was a little out of line with the rest of y'all's coverage. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be better. Um, uh, as I mentioned, I, I want to sort of exercise this year while I still can, because iOS 12 is a relatively 
minor release compared to iOS 12 and especially compared to what's likely going to happen next year. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to try and, and see if, I'm, if I can do it this year so that I can be ready next year because I really don't want to go back to a place where there's a chapter of my review where I describe how the drag and drop API works, which I don't regret doing that um it's it's kind of like giving um giving a presentation at a conference i'm glad that i did it once because i know that i'm capable of doing it um i'm very likely not gonna do it again uh because it's not necessarily something that i enjoy or that is worth for me doing um i know that i can write about frameworks and i can write about apis if i want to but i think there's people who are better suited at doing that than me and also I think, honestly, if you just want to read about documentation, the Apple website is an excellent resource for that. And there's only so much you can you can build in terms of prose and in terms of, uh, you know, uh, narrative around APIs and frameworks that is not actually writing a manual. So I very much prefer to you know, have uh, to, to draw conclusions and to have narratives throughout the review that are about the experience and the design and, you know, what Apple didn't do or what Apple did wrong, you know, that kind of stuff. That's what I'm doing with this review. Um, and, for example, today, uh, you know, I, I was surprised that I was able to put in 3,000 words in just one day about, you know, uh, the, do not disturb and notifications and all of that stuff. Um and honestly, I think that, you know, the writing in drafts, um, because it's so similar to what my editorial setup used to look like, um, I've always been, for some reason, I've always been faster uh, and more efficient in editorial than, say, in Ulysses. Um, I don't know if it's about the plain text markdown or if it's about the automation and the workflows, but it just, it just I'm more... Uh, I can put words down on a page faster in drafts than than anything else. I don't know why. Uh, still, um, this is how it's going, and I still uh, I'm gonna take a break uh, from writing on Friday to sort of have a day off, and then I'm gonna have another full week of writing ahead of me. So until next Saturday or next Sunday, it will be all writing all day. Uh, but yeah, I. I'm feeling pretty positive about it. Well, we can't let this go past without mentioning this iPod Touch you've purchased. What have you done? <laughs> oh, no. I, was, I was hoping you forget about it. Um, so, uh, as I mentioned, there's a, a setup and performance section up front in the review. Uh, I and I, I really don't want to do benchmarks. Uh, you know, settings takes 1.2 seconds to open and 1.16 seconds to open on iOS 12. There's YouTubers that do that and they have more test devices than me and, you know, it's their job to make these videos. And also benchmarks, you know, that kind of comparison, it's better in video than it is in text. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to do those types of benchmarks. But also... I wanted the, the section to be a little more informed than saying, yeah, it's great. It's fast. Mm-hmm. I'm using an iPhone X and it's awesome. I wanted to have some comparison material. So in addition to the iPad that I bought recently, I also bought 
a basic iPad. I mean, what's what what's it called? The fifth generation, the sixth generation. Yeah, sixth generation. Yeah. So you have one of those. I, I have six six generation everything. Six generation iPads. Just for testing. Yeah. Uh, no, the iPad is actually another discussion. The iPad is as it's basically a nightstand iPad um, for reading and watching video because I don't want to have the iPad Pro in the bedroom with me. Sure. Uh, because it, I know if the iPad Pro is in the bedroom, I'm going to be working late. So so what you have, to put it another way, is a daytime iPad and a nighttime iPad. You could say that because it's actually true. Uh, it's, a, it's, a night, it's a nighttime iPad. It's a bedtime iPad. Uh, it sits there with Safari reading list and YouTube. Uh, it's nothing else. But I don't have Twitter on it. I don't have mail set up. Uh, I don't have my RSS set up. It's just Safari and books and actually comicsology because I'm reading a comic book and YouTube. But that's about it. Uh, still, I can. It's running iOS 12, so uh, I can run some tests on it. But then I thought I should also get a less powerful device to really see how iOS 12 works on it. And uh, I didn't want to get an iPad Mini 2, um, which I think is still supported. I'm not sure. I think it is. Uh, maybe iPad Mini 4. I'm not sure about the number. Anyway, I decided for an iPod Touch because that felt like the like the least powerful device that I could get. Yeah. It's got an A8 CPU inside. Um, so, and it's so tiny. It doesn't even have Touch ID. It's, it's, it's a terrible device, but it makes for a great testing device. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and see how I can compare performance between iOS 11, which is running now on this iPod, and iOS 12, which I will install in a few days, without having to do the full, you know, benchmark comparison. That, again, YouTubers do an excellent job at that type of video. I don't want to do that. Uh, but maybe just, you know, just being able to have an informed opinion of, yes, I also ran iOS 12 on an iPad and an iPod Touch in addition to an iPhone 10 and an iPad Pro, and here's what I found. You know, that sure. type of stuff. The iPod Touch and the iPad Mini 4 are basically the same. Both have A8s. Both came out in 2015. The iPad Mini has more RAM, but they're both pretty old at this point. And I think another interesting reason in favor of the iPod Touch is you can use iOS 12 on the smallest screen size that is supported. And I think that's an interesting experience. Mm -hmm. I know sometimes on my wife's iPhone SE, some apps, some developer, developers clearly just don't look for that anymore. And you'll you'll see a button and a text label slammed into each other or like weird overlap because they just didn't bother to to look at it in the simulator or you know on a real device yeah what i noticed today that um uh, i couldn't type on the software keyboard because my, <laughs> my thumbs were hitting all the letters it was just it's such a tiny tiny keyboard or that for example when you open control center on the ipod touch it basically takes over you know the, the, the whole screen <laughs> it takes over the, the whole screen whereas on the iphone 10 uh, it's it's a section of the screen but on yeah. the ipod touch it's so small it basically all uh, buttons all the way from the top to the bottom <laughs> yeah hey at one point on probably on this show we we're talking about how that screen size felt big now look how how far we've come. Mm -hmm. uh, Simon, what about your macOS review? Uh, so, yeah, so I bought an iPod Touch now. 
I've got it mostly outlined. I'm kind of doing what you're doing and spending some time with the OS. I haven't started writing yet. Um, I think the average length of my OS 10 reviews have been has been like 15 or 18,000 words, a lot shorter than what you're doing. Uh, the thing I'm kind of debating, I talked to Jason about this on Upgrade, is that I'm kind of debating between a full review and doing like a series of like articles, basically one like per the major feature. And I really only because I already wrote the dark mode article and that I don't know what to do with that when it comes time to the review. Like, do I just link out to it or do I, because like that article is the dark mode section for the review. Uh, and so that's, you know, kind of given me thought about maybe some other ways I could tackle it this year. I mean, this will be like my, I think I've done every one since Mountain Lion, and I want to do something with it, but I'm just kind of debating, like, is a full-blown review uh, the right thing to do? And part of that is, like, the business decision of it, that the 512 just, like, doesn't make much money, and a a full review is a lot of time, and uh, I just need to balance, like, do I want this to exist versus like, what's the best use of my limited time? And so I don't really know what I'm going to do yet. Uh, I'm going to finish my sort of mind map of it and see if that helps me come to any decisions. Um, so I'm going to do something. I just don't know if it'll be like the same thing I've always done. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I think, you know, having done the dark mode article already, uh, I can see why you may be debating your approach because, you know, you've already done that. And I've been in this situation in the past where I used to do like um, standalone iOS stories in June or July Mm -hmm. about specific features. And then I had these stories and I was like, well, what am am I going to do for the review now? Because I I already have this article. Do I want to rewrite it? Do I just want to copy and paste it into the review? So I definitely, I definitely share the, you know, the... Uh, the concern about sort of what strategy to 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 apply. Yeah, and really the the sort of the next biggest chunk in Mojave is the Finder stuff, and I could see that being a really nice like standalone piece, like talking about all the stuff in Automator and how you can now expose them and as Finder actions. And right now, if, if you had to, if I had to choose, that's probably the route I'm going to go is pick another one, two, or three like big features of the OS and write sort of deep dives into them like I did dark mode and then sort of just, you know, kind of have those as like a collection of things and that be my coverage. So, but we'll see, uh, you know, part of it is looking through the reviews. I've done the same thing for a really long time. Like even like the same order of things like system requirements, big UI changes, big system changes, and then like miscellaneous items. And part of it is doing it every year. just kind of like I've just done it a lot, and maybe I'm just ready for a change. So we shall see. But um, dark mode is still pretty, so it's got that going yeah. for it. All right, so we have some more stuff to talk about. Emoji, Instapaper, more stuff. But I'm going to tell you about our second sponsor. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Simple Contacts. It's great when an app takes a tiresome task and makes it easy. Simple Contacts does this by being the easy way to renew your contact lens prescription. You'll be able to reorder your contacts from anywhere in just minutes. All you need to do is complete their online self-guided vision test. It takes less than five minutes, and you can do that wherever you are right now. No more doctor's offices, no more of those terrible waiting rooms. 
It's summer, and there are plenty of occasions you may need contacts on hand. Beach days, vacations, water slides, outdoor activities, weddings. So why not use Simple Contacts to stock up for the season? You can order your favorite contacts from their website or app. Simple Contacts offers all the lens brands you love with options for astigmatism, if you're like me, multifocal lenses, colored lenses, and more. You'll be able to order exactly what you need in the palm of your hand. The vision test is just $20. For comparison, an appointment without insurance could cost you over $200. Believe Simple Contacts can save you money and time. We do need to let you know this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Simple Contacts will check that your current prescription still helps you see 2020 and will renew your lenses based on that prescription. They're not writing a completely new prescription or examining your eye health. Uh, I use Simple Contacts. I needed some. I downloaded the app. I did the vision test. It was super fast and easy. You do it with your contacts in. And within a few days, I had my specific contacts delivered to my door. As a listener of this show, you can get $20 off your contact lens order. Just go to simplecontacts.com slash connected20 or use the code connected20 at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com slash connected20 or simply use the code connected20 for $20 off. We thank Simple Contacts for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Federico, yesterday was World Mm. Emoji Day. Happy World Emoji mm. Day, buddy. Thanks, you too. Yes. Uh, I didn't get you anything. Sorry. Uh, it's, all, it's all right. Don't worry about it. It's, uh, yeah. I forgive you. Forgive well, I got you a leg emoji. That's, that's coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is a God. day kind of put together by Emojipedia and Jeremy Burge and all, and all the sort of crazy emoji kids to... Uh, celebrate emoji and what they mean in society, but also now, like companies like Apple, use it to showcase the emoji they are bringing to their platform. So, of course, Unicode every year says these are the new emoji this year. Uh, for 2018, there's like 157 new emoji. That brings the total number to tw- 2,823. Can you believe it's almost 3,000 emoji? That's crazy to me. What? How many? Almost 3,000. 2,823. Oh, wow. uh, This is uh, considering all the combinations. I assume so, yeah. Yeah. And still no emoji search in the... (laughs) I was getting... Well, they're waiting to break 3,000 even, and then they'll do it. Uh, So this year, you talked about, like, uh, customization. So now emojis can be set to have red hair, uh, curly hair, Mm -hmm. which I appreciate. There's new emojis for superheroes, softball kangaroo the peacock which i think is my favorite there's a llama a raccoon a, f- a foot a very a foot a very <laughs> creepy leg it's just like the most you know like a cat like a thigh and a calf and a foot it's all very concerning honestly <laughs> i don't really know what's going on there. there's a there's a kangaroo too i think yeah uh, there's a bunch of a bunch of good stuff and uh so apple has previewed some of their artwork for these and they'll be rolling out this fall. I think we can assume that it'll be with like iOS 12.1 or 12.2 or something. We've talked about this in the past, right? Where Apple puts emoji in a point update as like incentive for people to upgrade, right? Because if you're not on the newest OS and I send you the pirate flag emoji, which is new this year, and your your iPhone just going to give you a little box with a question mark in it, you'll be sad. And then you'll go to software update and say that, hey, I can see these emoji now. So it's a 
it's a good thing. Um, I, I think it makes sense the way they release them. There should be a feature. Uh, Apple should do a feature in iMessage where if somebody sends you uh, an emoji that is not supported, uh, you will get a you will get an inline message that says, uh, "You you if you if only you up you updated your phone, you would see this emoji." Uh, <laughs> I think you described sort of, Clippy is me, what you've done. You've you've reinvented try, Clippy. Try and shame you. Try and shame you into updating. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm available as a consultant for a uh, software update. Um, what's it called? What, what's the correct name here, Stephen? Uh, uh, it's not engagement. Nagging. It's, um, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm thinking of a, of a very specific, specific word that stack company companies use. Um, uh, so sort of growth hacking. Growth hacking. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Uh, I can I can be your software update um, growth hacker growth hack growth hacking consultant. That's my new title. It's really good. I don't know if it fits on a business card. You may need to shorten it, but it's a good start. Well, you you can you can uh, you can go on on the back of the business mm. card to you know you can continue on the on the back. Uh, <laughs> you can. <laughs> I don't know about you, but every year I think. I don't know what else they could add to this. 2,800 emoji is a lot. Like, yes, there's animals that they've added, right? So, like, the animals, there's a skunk, parrot, all the animals we mentioned earlier. Uh, there's a salt shaker. There's a mango. I guess the mango people were sad. They didn't have a mango emoji. Sure. Do mm-hmm. we just run out at some point? Like, at some point, are they just out of emoji? What do you think? Uh, well... I guess that yes, at some point uh, th- there will be a scarcity of new emoji to add. But also, I could see you know I I could see emoji going in different directions, such as um, landmarks, for example. Uh, there could be a Colosseum emoji. There could be a Statue of Liberty emoji. There uh, is, you know, that there is a of Statue stuff. of Liberty emoji. Oh, there is already one. So there you go. You Americans, USA. you get all USA. You- you're not stop acting like Casey. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, but I could see you know more landmarks, except for the Statue of Liberty, which is already an emoji. Um, or I don't know. I guess you know there's still quite a quite a few expressions to cover. You know, in terms of human expressions, uh, more symbols. Uh, unless you know, I really don't think that the Unicode. Uh, folks want to go with branded emoji uh so yeah that, that feels, feels weird. weird and it feels wrong to have advertisements in your unique yeah well you already see a little bit of that so like the watch emoji apple renders on this platforms is an apple watch like there's already that's already creeping in a little bit yeah kind of because apple can do you know they can make the phone emoji look like an iphone and the apple watch look yeah right uh but yeah i think they you know I don't think we'll always have this sort of aggressive schedule of like 150 or 200 new emoji every year. I think eventually we'll settle on something like 50 or 40. Uh, but also the world is changing and we're, you know, we're always coming up with new memes or new objects or new inventions. And I, don't, I think, honestly, I think we'll continue to come up with new emoji as well. So, I we really mm-hmm. need emoji search though, because Apple th- seems so to bad. think that the predictive emoji system is fine. The problem is, 
it's based on rules that are not explained. And sometimes I'm thinking of an emoji that, uh, you know, I think Google does an excellent job at this, that you can search for the same emoji using multiple search terms and different ways to describe mm-hmm. it. Um, because, you know, it's Google and they know what people search for. Um, I, right. I really hope that Apple eventually adds a search bar to the to the emoji keyboard and you know they, they could still use machine learning and differential privacy whatever they want to use to power their system but just let me manually search for a character to add to my conversations um yeah yeah and they they have that on the mac jeremy burst spoke about him earlier the founder of emojipedia and all around he's the inventor man. of emoji you know he wrote this, he, yeah he, he writes he yeah. draws them all uh, he wrote this thing uh, earlier this year that the Apple search is actually really bad yeah, on the Mac. Yeah. Um, and so we'll have that in the show notes as a reminder. But like, it seems like such an obvious thing to add. Like you said, Google does it. The Google keyboard does it. And like, just, just do it. And like, use, like, fix your search terms. It seems like in a world where there's less low-hanging fruit in new versions of iOS, this sure seems like an obvious one. Yeah. What can you tell me about Instapaper? As um, as a European user, all I know is that <laughs> the service is gone because of GDPR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, but so a little history on Instapaper. Marco Armit, our friend, uh, invented it and developed it. Sold it to BetaWorks in 2013. BetaWorks sold it to Pinterest a couple of years ago. And really since then, from from my perspective, and I've used Instapaper since like the day it was available on the iPhone. It's been in the same spot on my home screen for a decade. Under Pinterest Watch, it really didn't go anywhere. And that's not to say anything bad about the the people working on it. I know I know a couple of them. They're great people and they're great developers and they're passionate about Instapaper and they're the group who now own it. Uh, Where this ends up is that Pinterest has sold it to a group who were working on it since the Betaworks uh, days. And I am hopeful that this means that they can fix the GDPR compliance. So like when I was in England a couple weeks ago, I couldn't save anything to Instapaper. Uh, I couldn't access the website. Like it was like, just like it didn't exist. And that was a bummer, especially when you're on vacation, right? Like you see a link on Twitter real quick and you want to save it for later because you're on vacation. It's like, well, I have no place mm. to put those. Uh, so I put them in Safari Reader, which I want to talk to you about. But I'm hopeful that this means that Instapaper will be able to move forward in features and and updates. I have lots of questions, I think, as do you, as do other people, about what is the business model going to be? Inside Pinterest, it didn't matter if Instapaper made money or not because Pinterest is huge. Now, the downside, downside was Pinterest basically ignored it. So They did actually, under Pinterest Watch, they did actually remove the premium subscription. They just made everything free. Yeah. So... Um, mm-hmm. they, I think that puts them in a, in a, in a tough spot because now they're going to have you know, if they want to monetize, they're going to have to bring back and sort of paywall features that are now free or come up with new premium features to have users pay. Um, so I don't know what they're going to do, but I've always liked Instapaper. Where, you know, before I switched to Safari reading list, I think Instapaper uh, does or, or used to do uh, 
an excellent job at um, making it easy for you to save stuff, of course, but also do some basic research uh, with tools like highlighting, for example, or adding notes or organizing articles mm-hmm. in folders and archiving stuff for later, but still being able to search you know, for highlights. It was also a great uh, iOS automation citizen. Uh, one, I think it was uh, with Marco. It was one of the first apps, if not the first app, to support X callback URL on iOS. And yeah, well, I mean, he and Greg yeah. worked on it. Uh, you know, in those early days. Yeah, I mean, under Marco, it really was just a phenomenal app, and I remember. Instant Paper HD on the iPad, and that really seemed to be oh, the moment. Oh, it was called HD. You're right. I totally do you remember about every that. app used to do that? It was crazy. Everyone used to do that to call the apps HD. Well, and you guys spoke about it on an episode of App Stories that he was on recently about sort of the the background there, and it really was such for such a long time a a beacon of what an iOS app should be. And I'm hopeful that that can return. But the difference is, like you said, now it's got competition in Pocket. It's got competition in Safari reading list. So you've been using that. Tell me how that's gone for you. Because I haven't really experimented with it except for when I was traveling. It's okay. Um, I, I love that. It's so well integrated with the system. I don't, it's not another thing that I need to manage. That I like. That it's, it's just an extension uh, in the share sheet. And it's always there. And it's always in Safari. And it, you know, it, it, support, it integrates directly with Safari Reader, uh, which is one of the best features of Safari, the reader mode. Yes. Um, uh, what I don't like is that it is unreliable. In the sense that often I, when I'm on a plane and I, and I go like, oh, now I'm going to read some articles from my reading list. And for some obscure reason, one of them is not available for offline reading. Even though I have the option enabled and I'm always on Wi-Fi and I have decent Wi-Fi, I think. Um, for some reason, some articles are not available for offline consumption. Um, also, it doesn't, have, it doesn't have full text search. So uh, often I'm in a situation where I'm writing a review or I'm writing a story and I want to reference an article that I, that I remember reading a while back. Um, I cannot find, and maybe I remember a sentence or I remember a quote from that article. I cannot search for it into my reading list. I need to go on Google and search by site and, you know, uh, it doesn't have it doesn't have a search mode. It only searches the titles of the articles that you save, um, and also it doesn't have any folder-based organization or tagging system to begin with. So it's plain. It's it's right there in the name. It's a reading list. It's not meant to be a more complex tool such as Pocket or Instapaper. Still, I wish that Apple put a little more effort into making it something worthwhile. Um, I cannot imagine that. You know, uh, people don't don't want to read articles anymore. There must be at least a few millions, few million users who use Safari reading list, uh, considering the scale of iOS. And so, if, even though in the past I argued in favor of why don't they just make reading list a separate app on iOS, now I would be fine just with having some improvements or a better, more reliable 
syncing system and some kind of full text search. I would I would even be fine without folders and without tagging, even though those would be welcome. But really, search and more reliable downloads that would be mm-hmm. that would be at the top of my list. But otherwise, it's fine. Hmm. I miss Insta Paper, but this is fine. Yeah, I don't know. Safari reading list seems like one of those features that like Apple implemented and then. It gets touched every four Fuck. years, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you may be stuck waiting a little while uh, for that thing to get, which is, which is a bummer, right? That Apple should, should... They should... You know what they should do? They should, you know, to decide what product, what, what app um, they, should, they should work on next. They should get the teams from all these apps that are sort of, you know, uh, forgotten about, so... People from the Reminders team, people from the Safari Reading List team, uh, people from Apple Mail, uh, battle it out in a sort of battle battle royale uh, competition. And the last team standing wins and gets to work on updates for the next version of iOS. And everybody else goes back to their office for the next four years. Um, Will be fun. Doesn't doesn't have to be violent. It could be a game of tag or something. Yeah, I like that. yeah, still should be following the battle royale rules. So sort of like a like an internal Fortnite is what I'm asking for. Uh, I really want an updated reminders app. Oh Steven. come on, man! It's uh, too long. No, I I know, right? It's been like four years and no updates. It's still it's still got that that look from iOS seven. I think it's the only app that from the iOS seven generation that was never touched. Yeah, again uh, <laughs> and. Honestly, do you do you can you believe that nobody uses reminders? Everybody I know uses reminders. It's because it's right there. It's, it's shared with iCloud. Exactly. I mean, I use Todoist, but like shared grocery list and like all sorts of stuff end up yeah. in there. Well, yeah. same thing with notes. Notes it, isn't as bad of an example, but like, why is that texture still there? Why did my letters still look like they're sunk into paper? Like, just <laughs> in Mojave, the dark mode in notes includes the same background they just made it dark it's like you had to go into the app bundle to make this why don't you just get rid of it <laughs> it, it hurts does, does dark paper even exist i don't know mike's not here uh, i don't know who knows mm. who knows how paper works mm. Mm. so yeah so i mean best of luck to the instapaper team I, yeah. I i wish them success i hope it's successful i'm curious how they can pull it off it's a it's an uphill battle but I feel like if anyone can do it, uh, then it'll be them. So my, I'm, I'm in their corner, Federico, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In their corner. All right, we got a few more things to talk about, but I'm going to tell you about our final sponsor. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Timing, the automatic time tracking app for macOS. In today's fast-moving world, the next distraction is right around the corner. It's just a notification away, it feels like. That makes it harder and harder to stay on track with your projects and determine how much you actually worked. That's why you need an app to help you stay on top of your time. But manual time tracking can interrupt your workflow. Timing is different because timing automates your time tracking to save you as much time as possible. First, it automatically tracks how you spend time on your Mac, broken down by app, website, and document. But that'd be a lot of data to work through, so timing lets you use drag and drop to create rules that help automatically categorize your time. So, for instance, if I'm in this document, I'm working. If I'm in this document, I'm writing poetry for Federico, which is not work. It will also suggest 
to fill gaps in your timeline so you never forget to track a meeting or something like that. It can even automatically ask you what you did whenever you return to your Mac. And with a new automatic sync feature, your track time now magically appears across all your Macs. So if you go out with your MacBook, you get the full picture on your iMac when you get back home. Timing makes, like I said, all of this really easy. I tried manual time tracking and really struggled with it, but timing just does it all automatically, and those reports make it really easy to see what I've actually been doing. Timing is so confident that you'll love their fuss-free approach. They offer a totally free trial. Download the free 14-day trial today by going to timingapp.com connected, and you'll save 10% when you purchase the app. Timing, stop worrying about time and focus on doing your best work instead. We thank Timing for their support of this show and Relay FM. So let's talk about Nest, uh, everyone's favorite, I don't know if everyone's favorite, hmm. but uh, you know, company that makes thermostats and cameras. I have a ton of Nest stuff at home. I'm really kind of all in on their ecosystem. And uh, that makes me worried sometimes because Nest has had a very rough couple of years since being acquired by Google. Google bought them for $3.2 billion in 2014. I remember at the time, $3.2 billion seemed like an insane amount of money. And now you see acquisitions going for even more than that. But uh, they had a CEO that was kind of like, it seems like an operations guy and employees basically complained to Google about him and they, they sent him packing. As part of that, Nest is now being merged with Google's home and living room products team. I assume that means like the team that makes like the Google Home and the Chromecast and stuff, right? Like, is that is that how you read that? What that group may do? Yeah, especially Google Home and Living Room. Why Living Room? Uh, I suppose it's because of the Chromecast and TV. Well, you don't want to you don't want to work on a team that's like the bedroom products team. That's a different. Why not? Different thing. Would you have a Google's home and kitchen team? <laughs> Would that be better? You know, Google has been part of Alphabet, sort of in parallel with Google. It's been brought back into Google. Now it's being sort of demoted inside a products team. They do say the Nest brand will continue on, so uh, I don't think they're going to like rebrand the Nest thermostat, like the Google thermostat. Uh, but it makes me worry, and I wonder what you think about it as in terms of consumer confidence. Like, do normal people... Are they ever going to hear about this, or like they just see like the Nest brand in stores and they go and they they equate that with the thermostat that you know has a computer inside of it? It depends on I think if they're keeping the Nest branding um, because what I notice is that when these big acquisitions happen, it always takes a while for people to to sort of associate the the brand with the with the new owner. Uh, there's still some of my friends only discovered recently that Instagram was owned by Facebook. And most of my friends do not know that Beats is owned by Apple, for context. Yeah. So. Well, they've said they're, they've said they're keeping it. So I guess. So. Yeah, I I think honestly that most people will not care, yeah. and they they will see the Nest brand. They will they will say, oh yeah, that that's you know they make the thermostat and the sensors that I know. Uh, I trust that company, and then I suppose there will be. Um, some kind of badge that says works with the Google Assistant. Um, so maybe they will make the association there because they see the Google logo on the box, but I don't know. Uh, 
most people do not keep up with this sort of mm-hmm. um, tech news, you know, that you see on TechCrunch right. about acquisitions and mergers. Uh, they don't care. They don't know. They don't care. They don't have to, uh, to an extent. Um, so I think they will be fine. I want to see what happens in terms of. Um, do they really want to keep the Nest branding long term or is it just like something in the short term? Uh, are, uh, are they going to make a Google thermostat or are they going to make Google Google branded sensors? Uh, I could see that happen, but also I could see why they want to keep the Nest yeah. branding uh, for now. I so, think people uh, would maybe be less likely to purchase something if it had Google on it. At least some type of cons- some consumers, you know, don't trust Google and maybe. I mean, I don't think it's Google tricking people, but they'd be more comfortable with the Nest brand. And the uh, same way, like when, I remember when Nest was purchased by Google, a bunch of people like in the Apple community were like, oh, no, I'm taking my thermostat off my wall. It's like, well, that's a little extreme. But maybe there is something to it that the Nest brand has a, a level of trust built into it that maybe Google doesn't in the Cernit arena. I think there's probably something there. Yeah. I'm really interested to see how they uh, sort of the, the the smart home portfolio by Google uh, shakes out going forward because they have these speakers that are also assistants and they have the Chromecast which can integrate with the assistant uh, and then they have Nest and then they're also making phones. Um, it seems like a sort of scattershot strategy uh, but also everything is sort of coming together under the Google Assistant banner, um, which is interesting because um, it's a very different approach from Apple, for example, where everything is either Siri or HomeKit and then it's, everything is up to the third parties to, to manufacture and sell or not, as we'll see in, in a couple of minutes. Uh, whereas Google is actually making these products themselves but also working with third-party manufacturers, which is basically the Android strategy all over. Mm. Uh, they're making their own stuff, but also they're making it possible for others to integrate with it. Um, and instead, Apple is sort of taking the opposite approach here. They're just making the framework, but they don't actually make any smart home product. It's a really, really interesting difference. I think it is. So let's talk a little bit about that. 9 to 5 broke a story today on the home. So there's a page on Apple's website. It's like HomeKit devices and you can go through there and sort by like i'm looking for this sort of thing i'm looking for that sort of thing and uh on that list up until recently were uh some uh, like doorbell cameras so the Mm -hmm. the august doorbell cam was listed as coming soon it's now no longer there uh ring had said that they were looking into HomeKit support but they have not uh said anything else about that so it's that may be not coming anymore. I don't know. You, you've you've got a HomeKit camera. You did. Do you still have that thing? I have a couple. Yeah, actually, I have a I have um what's what's the name D-Link mm-hmm. Omna, and I have a Logi Logi Circle Two. Um, I really like the Logi one. Um, I remember HomeKit doorbells. I remember writing about it in my iOS 10 review. Um, I think. The situation with this product has always been kind of weird in that there was only one available on the market. And honestly, I don't know what the problem is. 
here. Um, it's a it's a strange product in that it blends being a camera with also being an intercom yeah. type of device, and maybe maybe they just couldn't get it to work reliably enough, and they just decided to pull you know the references from the web page because nobody is making them. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's it sort of speaks to the. This is part of the old um, HomeKit uh, approach by Apple of really slow uh, certification um, times, a really slow approval process. Now, in theory, at WWDC this year, Apple committed to uh, improving the HomeKit certification process to have it be down from several months to just a few weeks. And that goes alongside the improvements that they made last year with uh, self-certification using software. Uh, You don't have to wait for Apple to license a HomeKit, you know, compatible chip to put into your product. You can just uh, make sure that your product supports the HomeKit software specification and then you can certify with Apple. And now Apple is saying it doesn't take three months to certify with us. We're opening more certification labs around Europe and around the world. And it takes just a handful of weeks, um, which is, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, a few weeks is not an immediate process. Still, uh, you know, three weeks is better than three or four months. Um, and, uh, you know, Apple has always prioritized um, um, stricter and more severe, uh, you know, security requirements than maybe other companies. Uh, uh, and uh, on one hand, that is a problem because, the, you know, if you go on Amazon, <laughs> there's uh, there's not the same variety of accessories that work with the, with the Echo and accessories that work with HomeKit. And the situation with HomeKit is especially problematic outside of the United States, where if you go on the Italian Apple website, or and I think it's mostly compatible in France and Germany and the UK even, um, we have two pages of accessories for HomeKit, and I think in the US you have five which basically says a lot um but still on the other hand i think i'm much more confident putting a home kit device into my apartment than putting something else that's not to say that i haven't done it because i i used to have amazon echo devices i used to have um, smart home devices from other companies i'm not paranoid that way still I'm pretty confident about HomeKit and the way that it works. And actually, I like the way that it works with the HomeKit integration and the Siri integration and the HomePod. Um, It would be better if, you know, I want to see if going forward, if what Apple said in June, it's still too early to to tell and to judge if this new uh, strategy is actually working well. But if it does, um, I suppose we're going to see more frequent... HomeKit releases from third-party manufacturers. We're going to see more devices gaining, you know, software uh, updates that add HomeKit support. That would be nice. Yeah. Uh, the doorbell stuff, uh, it's, it seems to me as if it's a problem coming from the old strategy of Apple and HomeKit. And now they're probably rethinking how things are done here. They're probably rethinking the API. I don't know what's going on. But the fact that only one company was making a compatible doorbell with the camera and the intercom, I understand why. It's, it's gone from the, from the website. Yeah, hopefully they get it sorted out. Um, you know, Ring was purchased by Amazon, so that may be a factor there. But uh, that, yeah. may, that may never show up in HomeKit. But I, I, hopefully someone gets there with it. I don't have one of these. Uh, I'm not particularly interested in one, I don't think. But 
you know, like I said, I'm I'm so far in the Nest world. My HomeKit stuff is all basically lights, and then all my cameras are Nest, and so I kind of have two different places I check stuff. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully, like you said, this is kind of the last days of it being really difficult to move into HomeKit, and Apple's making it easier, and hopefully, consumers are rewarded for that with more options. Yeah, I agree. Cool. I think that brings us to the end. Yeah, we're done. Even without Michael, we can do a show. Yeah. So if you want to find show notes this week, head over to the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 201 with us. Uh, you can get in touch with us there uh, via email. You can find us on Twitter. Federico is at V-I-T-I-C-C-I and is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH, and I write at 512pixels.net. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Pingdom, Simple Contacts, and Timing. And until our next episode, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Adios.